Well, hello, Chapel Roswell. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I'm so blessed to be coming to you wherever you are this morning, whether you're at home, whether you're on the road, whether it's morning, whether it's evening, afternoon. I'm glad that we're able to spend part of this time together at Chapel Roswell. Right now, our doors may not be open, but our hearts and our hands still are. I pray that our time together today will be meaningful and a blessing to each and every one of you. But most importantly, friends, I pray that our time together will be special to God. Our scripture this morning is one that some of you have heard before. Maybe for some of you it's a new story, but it is a parable that has kind of permeated its way into popular lexicon. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, Jesus refers to this as the parable of the lost son. He never uses the word prodigal. What does prodigal mean? Well, prodigal is someone who is reckless and and kind of irresponsible, I guess, with money, someone wasteful with money. And we certainly find that in this story this morning. A little bit of context, the parable of the lost son, the story of the lost son. Jesus' teaching, it was starting to attract a lot of people. There were a lot of people who started to follow Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They say that he spoke, he taught with someone with great authority. That also, though, attracted some of the religious establishment, a lot of the people who had become critical of Jesus. They were threatened, maybe in some cases, by what he had to say, by the respect that he was garnering. In other cases, they just disagreed theologically with what he was talking about. And Jesus knew this. Jesus could tell that they were being critical, that they were murmuring about what he was teaching about. So in the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus responds to that. Jesus gives us three parables, each of which has something to do with that which is lost. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, followed by finally the parable of the lost son. Now, each of these three parables has a similar theme. Uh, someone or something is lost, a sheep, a coin, a son. There is a search that ensues, and then it's followed by someone finding that sheep, finding that coin, or the return of the son. But that's not all that there is. There's also celebration. God celebrates when that one person returns home. The homeowner rejoices when that lost coin is found. The shepherd rejoices, celebrates when that one sheep is found. So, friends, with that said, we're going to go to the 15th chapter of Luke. It's called the lost chapter. Why? Because it's talking about these three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. We're going to pick it up at verse 11. We're going to take it all the way to verse 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Now, back in that day and age, this would have been scandalous. That would have been like the younger son saying, Dad, I, I just I give up my desire to be your son. You can just go ahead and die for all I care. I just want your stuff. I want to move on. I want my freedom. I want my independence. I'm rebellious. Fine. That's what you think. That's okay. But I want to be out of here. And what does the father do? The father actually says, okay, son, here is your part of the inheritance. This rebellious son, he goes and he follows his rebellious instincts, but things didn't turn out the way that this younger son had hoped. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country 
and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and so this younger son, he began to be in need. He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When this younger son, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this young son, he got up and he went to his father. So this humiliated son, going back with his proverbial tail tucked between his legs, he, he heads back home to daddy and he knew that he had blown it. He knew that he had made a mistake. He had no doubt hurt his father, hurt his family, hurt even his standing within that culture but he's still headed back home. You, you talk about remorse, maybe even talk about repentance. But something odd happens here, something that certainly shocked the people who were hearing Jesus tell this story. It certainly was shocking to the young son in this story. Not only did his father welcome him back, but the scripture says that the father ran out to the son. That would have been so contrary to the way that culture would operate. The father would never do such a thing, but that's what happened. Let's pick it, pick it back up. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Wow, the the son certainly has a change of heart. He realizes, he recognizes the depths of his sin, his betrayal to his father. He was sorry. He repented to the father. But his father's actions continued to shock both the son and the people who are hearing this story. As Jesus tells the story, what does the father do next? Well, it really shocked the audience. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is now alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a great ending to a powerful story. We could end it right there and say, wow, this wonderful father in his grace and in his mercy and his love for his son, he runs out to his son, he embraces him, he celebrates, he welcomes him home. Man, things are great. Except for one thing, Jesus doesn't stop talking. Jesus keeps teaching. We could wrap it up now. What a great story. But no, Jesus has more to say. The father throws a party. He celebrates the return of the lost son. And when we hear this story, we tend to place an emphasis on this younger son. Yeah, he's the one who wandered. He's the one who squandered. He's the one who messed up. But he's the one who eventually came to his senses and he came back home. His loving father lovingly takes him back. 
He's seen as kind of the, the bad guy of the story, but, but towards the end, he has a change of heart, and we certainly find then a change of life. His father is filled with compassion. His loving father kisses and hugs him, welcomes him, celebrates his recovery. What a surprising ending. Again, that would have been somewhat shocking to the people who heard that, that this young boy, well, he kind of dug his own grave, they could say, but, but his father takes him back. Oh my goodness, that, that would be scandalous. That wasn't the way things were done back then. But like I said, the story doesn't end here. The story was about the younger son. But now as Jesus continues to teach, continues to preach, continues to talk, he's now turning his focus from the younger son to the older son. Let's pick it up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry he refused to go in. Remember that. He became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So while the story often focuses on the younger son, the so-called prodigal son, the wasteful son, the irresponsible son, the, the sinful son, you see, Jesus now turns the tables. He's now talking about the older son. I think this primary emphasis now on the older son is to really focus on the fact that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, this religious establishment and the audience and the congregation and the crowds, they, they were starting to murmur. And so Jesus had something he wanted to say to them. Yeah, it was the young son who squandered. It was the young son who wandered. He wasted time and money and energy on things that he not should waste his energy and time and money on. But meanwhile, the older son stayed home. He was dutiful. He seemingly was honoring his father. He was obedient to his father. But again, Jesus is telling this in response to the criticism of the religious leaders of that day. They were angered that Jesus was spending time with tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus tells this story about these two brothers. And I think he does this to parallel those that he was addressing in that literal sense. The sinners and the tax collectors over here, but then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the so-called good guys, as they would call themselves, over here. The younger son, he was like the sinners in the story. He went out and did something he shouldn't have done. Uh, the Pharisees, though, I think in Jesus' eyes, were, they, they, they were like the older son. Uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were doing the, the duty that they felt they had to do. Remember, the older son says, Father, I slaved for you. It doesn't seem to be a sense of love. It seems more of a sense of duty and obligation. But you see, here's the key to the story. How we find the story now is not how the parable ends. We talk about the young son squandering and wandering and doing things he shouldn't have done. 
Not good, but the story doesn't end. Uh, meanwhile, the, the, the older son, the so-called good son, he's dutiful, he's obedient, he does what he thinks the father wants him to do. But again, that's not the end of the story. At the end, what happens? Maybe the true colors come out. You see, the younger son, he realizes the mistakes. He realizes the errors of his ways, and he comes back home. He realizes that he needs to be where his father is. What a beautiful picture of a repentant sinner and a beautiful picture of a loving God who runs out to embrace, to welcome home, and to celebrate that homecoming of that lost and wayward son. But what about the older son? How do things end with him? Well, not well. The scripture says that he is angered. He refuses to go in. He refuses to go in to to see his younger brother. He refuses to go in to that place where his father is. Why? Because things aren't unfolding the way that he wants them to unfold. We often forget about the older son. Again, he represents the good things. He Then, though, pouts and complains, he's passive-aggressive. He fails to celebrate the good news of his younger brother's return. So this parable of these two sons, the older son, he didn't rebel and he didn't reject, but his attitude, though, is really no more in sync with the heart of his father. He doesn't understand why his father is making a big deal about the return of his son. He doesn't realize why the fattened calf is being killed and people are parting because this wayward son is no longer wayward. In Scripture, the word righteous or righteousness, it refers to a right standing with God. The Scripture says that I, despite being a sinner, am made righteous. Why? Through my behavior? No, through my belief, through my faith in Jesus. It's in my faith through Christ that I am made righteous, that I am able to stand flawless before a perfect God and be recognized and be heard and be seen and to be accepted. I am made righteous not by anything I do. I am made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus and the continued work of God in my life here and now. I am made righteous by the Lord. But sometimes we think that maybe the things that we do give us a right standing before God. The Pharisees certainly thought that. Maybe some religious people in our day and age think that. That's why we refer to them as being self-righteous. They're made righteous, they think, not in external forces, but in what they do, in something internal. That self-righteousness, I can do what it takes to become holy in the eyes of God. Am I made righteous because of grace? Yeah. Am I made righteous by what I do? No, because even on my best day, I can never be good enough to be perfect and holy in the eyes of God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Christ, I am made new. God says, not only am I forgiven, I'm accepted, I am an heir to the family. I am an heir to the throne of God. Wow. So we have a story of two sons. How did they finish? One son did something wasteful, but he returned home. One who was seemingly dutiful and obedient, but but at the end, he, he, he pouts and he's, he's passive aggressive and he's upset with his father. So how does that story end? The older son is angry at his brother. He's angry at his father. He wants things to be done his way, in the timing of his way, in the method of his way. And when things aren't done that way, he gets upset. It's in the Old Testament. We 
find a great word that means gratitude. It means to be grateful. The antithesis of that, though, the opposite of that word grateful literally means entitled, that I am entitled. I've always been good, says the older son. Therefore, things should go the way that I want them to go. How do I know if I'm entitled? Uh, Well, maybe at times something bad may seem to be happening in my life, and I say, God, why me? I'm I'm a good guy. I followed your call into ministry, and, and God, I've always been a good guy. I haven't done things like those people over there, and yet I'm still struggling, or I'm still suffering, or I'm going through something that's difficult. Why is that? Well, can you see a little bit of the Pharisaic point of view in there, that I'm saying, God, you kind of owe me because of the way that I am. In the parable of the lost son, where do I find myself? Am I the rebellious son who has come home? In the end, he's the one that receives the celebration. He's the one that receives the honor of his place in his God and his father's family. Or am I like the older son? Don't worry about those people over there, Father, because I'm the good guy. You need to focus on people like me. But see, the message of grace, friends, is so key to our theology. We are saved by grace, not our behavior. We're not saved by anything that we can do. We are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. I pray that you can see that that is indeed the good news of Chapel Roswell. I pray that as a pastor, people can see that that's the good news of Joe McKechnie. We're focusing not on our own abilities because we're never going to be able to do it perfectly enough. We're never going to be able to be good enough or nice enough. But you know what God is not calling us to? God is saying, don't do this in your own strength because you can't do it. And the truth is, if, Joe, you could save yourself, you would need a Savior. But you can't, and so I, God, have lovingly sent, Joe, you a Savior. Am I like the older son who grumbles when things don't go my way? Or am I like the younger son who, despite my rebelliousness, realizes my need to come home? Friends, even on my best day, Nowhere near good enough to be in the presence of God, but because of God's amazing love for you and God's amazing love for me, God welcomes us home. God welcomes us into his family. That, my friends, is the good news of a radical God.